You're listening to Seeing and Believing, a film and television podcast that searches for the sacred on screen. I'm Wade Bearden. I'm Kevin McLenathan, and I'm sorry, Wade, we're going to just have to stop and re-record that intro because you did not use the gravelly announcer voice <laughs> from Mortal Kombat, and that's just not going to work for this episode. I, Come I, on, I, let's, hear, let's hear a finish I him. I didn't know how I missed it. Okay, uh, <clears throat> uh, you're listening to Seeing and Believing. No, no, no. no. It sounds like Hulk Hogan. It's not working for me. (laughs) Listeners, hopefully we can make that up with our review of Mortal Kombat, the new adaptation of the Mortal Kombat video game directed by Simon McQuoid. We'll also be announcing the winner of our Oscar predictions contest. We'll let you know who was the best at predicting the Academy's picks to win an Amazon gift card coming up on episode 289 of Seeing and Believing. Flawless victory! First learned about this seven years ago on a mission in Brazil to capture a wanted fugitive. When we got there, it tore through our unit in seconds. The target has superhuman abilities. It had the same marking you do, Cole. It's a birthmark. What do you mean? He was born with it. It's not a birthmark, Cole. It means you've been chosen. Throughout history, different cultures all over the world reference a great tournament of champions. That dragon marking? I think it's an invitation to fight for something known. As Mortal Kombat. Hello, listeners. Welcome to episode 289. I feel like my voice is just floating like helium now, Kevin. I, I just, my voice is so high because of, of me practicing that flawless victory thingy. Whatever it is. Yeah. We, we did. I, I put you through your paces. Of course, listeners can't hear that here in this final cut, but we did a couple of run throughs of that intro to see if we could get the perfect balance of gravelly savagery in your in your voice work. And, you know, listeners can judge for themselves, I guess, how close we got. But I'm I'm glad to hear that you're not needing any sort of like, you know, herbal tea with honey in it to soothe your your poor mangled vocal cords well i i open the window let the texas humidity get in so it can rejuvenate my vocal cords because they're a little scratchy right now i don't usually i don't usually go that far but it feels good it feels wild wild at heart the, <laughs> the things you do uh the sacrifices you make to make this podcast great never cease to astound me, Wade. Oh, man. Well, hats off to you. Speaking of making this podcast great, we need to give a shout out to our Patreon supporters who keep us going every single week. You like that transition? There you go. Uh, Listeners, make sure to hop on to patreon.com forward slash seeing underscore believing underscore podcast, a number of different donation levels. And we are just, you know, we say it all the time. So thankful for all of our listeners who support us. And Kevin, I got a, I got a couple questions, a couple things to get to. Uh, first, we have a donation level called the what can you buy for $5 level. And I was wondering, first off, uh, what could someone buy for five bucks? 
Five bucks would get you an especially fragile monocle, which would come in handy in situations where you need it to shatter when somebody says something especially scandalous. So you need that $5 monocle on hand to really make sure that you're ready for that moment when it arises. Yeah, you just kind of, like you put it in your eye and you squint real hard and it just bursts out and people know you mean business. At that point, they're 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 worried. Uh, yeah. So, listeners, hop on our over to our Patreon page. And then the second thing is, Kevin, we held this Oscar contest. And essentially, we had our Patreon supporters submit who they thought would win each category in the ninety third Academy Awards, and we have a winner. And it's you know what. Just, I guess it's fascinating because last week this Patreon supporter had us review a particular film because he's at the $10 mark. And if you do that, you can choose one film a year for us to review. And so we talked about Night of the Hunter. This year, he scored a whopping 15 out of, I don't know, 20 something categories for the Oscars. And that's Eric Johnson. So he wins an Amazon gift card. We're going to be sending that to you, Eric. Thanks to everybody who participated. This is this is a lot of fun. Yeah, between the, you know, the Night of the Hunter review and winning this contest, it feels like this is really this is really Eric's month. You know, everything is coming up, Eric. Well done him. I do have to give a shout out to to Christy Olson for her ballot. Unfortunately, she did not beat Eric's count of 15 correct predictions but i do want to you know offer at least like this kind of consolation prize of saying that i liked a lot of christie's picks a lot better than what actually won on the night itself so you got that going for and she also uh on the little screenshot of the ballot that she sent to us for the best documentary feature she made her prediction which uh unfortunately was not my octopus teacher so uh did not count towards her total but then off to the side she wrote but where is dick johnson is dead question mark question mark there and you know it's good to see that our our listeners have their priorities straight here um and i gotta echo christy's question where is dick johnson is dead if it's not in that category what are we even doing here Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Well, I was frustrated that that was not nominated, uh, which is which is sad, but I'm glad she, she put that there uh, so that all of history will remember that we were angry at this moment for that. You know, speaking of the Oscars, I, I did watch it. I, I forwarded through some of it. So I watched, I don't know, it was like three hours long. I probably watched it in about half the time. That also involves forwarding through commercials. Both Eric and Christy put down Chadwick Boseman. That was kind of an ordeal. It was very, very awkward at the end. And and that was magnified too by Joaquin Phoenix being the person to present the final award. And he's just a weird guy anyway. Um, but... I will point out, while I'm sad that Bozeman didn't win, Anthony Hopkins, his performance, which won for Best Actor, was so good. It's kind of hard to complain because he put in such a fantastic performance in his role in The Father. Yeah, it's definitely a weird situation where the the surprise of the upset was such that 
it kind of almost leads to this backlash where like how good can Anthony Hopkins be have been, you know, how dare he kind of like take that award away from, you know, a, a great actor who unfortunately was taken from us too soon. It just, it feels wrong somehow, but that's not really Hopkins fault. It is a very good performance. And if the Academy was going to kind of like end up awarding uh, a more unorthodox choice, I guess, for that category, I guess it would be good that that goes to somebody like Hopkins rather than, I don't know, old men for Mank <laughs> or something, which I don't know. I, I don't want to get on my, my Mank soapbox again, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as long as we, we, we dodged that bullet, so I'll take it. Yeah, well, yeah, there you go. And you know, it was nice. I, I'm trying to think through if this has ever happened, but my favorite film of the year one best picture nomad land i like it a lot i thought it was fantastic and it was so good to see that film take home the top prize and and then see chloe zhao take home best director so whatever you know happened at the oscars some things i was disappointed about i was really excited about that and pumped to see her work displayed out there and hopefully It'll, it'll push more people to see that film and, and also see her other films, including uh, The Fantastic, The Writer. Yeah, it's uh, I unfortunately was was really pulling for Minotti to really, you know, win out big. I wasn't seriously expecting it to, though. And, you know, Nomadland, it's a it's a fine pick. And I am like you really glad that Chloe Zhao is going to really get uh, a bit more of a, a profile boost for this so that more people can check out her work. Yeah, definitely. Well, speaking of the Oscars, we've got the front runner uh, <laughs> that we're going to be talking about today for the 2022 Oscars. Remember this, we're going to be talking about Mortal Kombat, directed by Simon McQuoid. Here's the film's official synopsis. Hunted by the fearsome warrior Sub-Zero, played by Joe Taslim, MMA fighter Cole Young, played by Louis Tan, finds Sanctuary at the Temple of Lord Raiden. Training with experienced fighters, Cole prepares to stand with Earth's greatest champions to take on the enemies from Outworld in a high-stakes battle for the universe. Of course, this is an adaptation of the popular Mortal Kombat games. I think there's more than one, um, which leads me to our first question today. Kevin, I know almost nothing about the Mortal Kombat mythology. I actually wasn't allowed to play the game as a child, which affects, I think, in some ways, my overall approach to this film. How could it not? In the same vein, let's go ahead and begin with this question. What is your overall relationship to Mortal Kombat, and did your experience, or even lack of experience, influence your enjoyment of this movie? Well, that's a good question. I was like you in that, you know, especially, you know, growing up uh, evangelical when when this was sort of this, the, the Mortal Kombat games kind of came out at a certain cultural moment where uh, certain extreme pieces of media were really being scrutinized by, by parents groups and by the culture at large and just kind of wondering, you know, how big of a negative influence are they on our nation's youth and of course mortal Kombat has those famous fatalities which are just these 
comically gory finishers to an already pretty gory fight between two players. And so it kind of, in a way, that was probably the best thing that ever happened to the series because it it really raised its profile, even though uh, from all accounts, it wasn't all that great of a game compared to some of the other fighting games out there. I didn't play them myself. However, I, as an adult, I fi- kind of weirdly found myself for a while getting into uh, the pro scene for the new uh, Mortal Kombat games, just kind of watching professional fighting game players, you know, duke it out uh, and win hundreds of thousands of dollars for their for their prowess. So. My familiarity with the franchise isn't encyclopedic. You know, I'm, I definitely would have to go to the Mortal Kombat wiki to sort of, you know, bone up on what exact, who exactly is who and what the history behind it is. But I, I'm enough, I know enough to be conversant in it. I kind of know my Kung Laos from my Shao Kahn's. And uh, watching, bringing that into the experience of this film. Um, I don't know that it affected my, my experience of it in a, in a strong way, just because, and this is maybe my bigger, my biggest criticism of the film to kick things off here is there's not really a whole lot of Mortal Kombat in Mortal Kombat. I mean, the character, there are, there are a lot of well-known characters from the games here. I mean, if you're familiar with the games, you're going to go, oh yeah, I know Sonya Blade. I know Liu Kang. I know Kung Lao. Uh, you know, some even some of the um, the killing blows that we see over the course of this film are recognizable as versions of what you actually see in the video game. So on kind of that surface level, this film kind of delivers the goods, but on a deeper level, it just doesn't really feel like it's all that interested in the Mortal Kombat part of Mortal Kombat, which really ends up dragging the whole film down and makes it feel kind of like, why are we even here? Why are we watching this if what we're really getting is basically training montage the movie instead of Mortal Kombat the movie? Mm, yeah, well, it, it, it definitely influences my approach to the movie because I don't know anything. But I was actually looking forward to watching this film and being surprised. And I expected there to be this tournament at the end. And we don't we don't even get that, which is just it kind of blows my mind that what I would associate with Mortal Kombat the most, this tournament style martial arts fight to the death, uh, is is not there, which is which is strange. And I think there are probably fans who will watch this and who will enjoy it a little bit more because they know the characters. There's this scene where uh, the main villain, uh, he's talking and he says, my new name now is Sub-Zero. And I, I don't know what that means. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's exciting for you. I'm glad it changed. But I think if you, if you're, familiar with these characters it's probably like okay yeah that's that's a nice easter egg or oh that's the character that i thought it was um but leaving that aside just from a purely cinematic standpoint this is a joyless film this is not fun at all and the bread and butter of this movie should be the martial arts it should be the fight scenes and they're not good it's funny because 
I, I expected there to be some good stunts, some good choreography and photography that would let us see that wide shots so that we could we could bask in the athleticism and the skill of these actors and of these uh, stunt individuals. And we don't get that. We get these close-up shots and, and quick cuts. And so the thing that we came to this movie for is just, it's not even there. And that's truly, that's it's just very disappointing, Kevin. I'm really struggling to figure out exactly, you know, as, as this film was being made, or at least as... Uh, it was being visualized by McCoy and his his collaborators. I I have to wonder, you know, what what was sort of the the spark that was animating it? You know, what was when they were going on set, or when they were storyboarding sequences out, or when McCoy was kind of like in the editing booth, kind of picking his pick, helping uh, form sequences and sort of picking the take they liked best. Like, what was the spark? What what did they get excited to do when they're making this movie? Was it you know the the fun characters was it the the great action were, were they really hoping to uh make in you know what what was driving them i guess and i can't think of what it could possibly be because the characters aren't great the action sequences the fight sequences aren't kinetic and fun to watch it's all just kind of limp and it it drives me kind of to the inescapable conclusion that what was really driving this film was the desire to kick off a franchise. There's, of course, a sequel teased at the very end where presumably in Mortal Kombat 2, there will actually be the tournament titled Mortal Kombat, but we never actually get there. Uh, we we get some, some setup for uh, these these characters to to move on. There's a a new character who's teased, who's also you know iconic. But I mean, sitting watching it, it it feels almost like a ver- like imagine watching Batman Begins and the entire movie is Bruce Wayne training with Ra's al Ghul in the mountains, and then he, as soon as he gets back to Gotham City, the movie ends. W- would you want to watch that? And no, nobody <laughs> wants to watch that. It's, I mean, it's theoretically interesting that, oh, come back for the next movie, you might actually get to see what you want to see in this movie. That's not really a selling point. And if the the meat and potatoes of this kind of movie, the the fight scenes aren't even there to kind of make compensate for it. It just sort of, it doesn't really make the case for this being a movie that anyone would want to watch, let alone hardcore fans. Yeah. And the, the main character, his name is Cole Young. As I mentioned before, he's this MMA fighter. He has a, uh, a daughter he's, he's married and his motivation is really to protect his family throughout this film. And it's it's strange because the movie is constantly sort of telling you, this is the main character, this is the person you're supposed to care for, and yet it doesn't really do anything to flesh out who he is. He's really an observer who does eventually participate, but he's, he's, our, he's our eyes to see the story, but I didn't have any type of connection to him. And at one point I looked down and I'm 38 minutes into this film and I don't know hardly anything about him. And I, if he were to, if, if his character were to die, I would feel no emotion at all. And I think you can get away with those types of choices 
if you say, okay, we're just going to lean into the martial arts, we're going to lean into the tournament style, we're going to lean into just, we're just going to make this an, an, this action-packed um, popcorn film. And perhaps that's what they were trying to do, but it's done poorly. There, there's a sequence where uh, all the characters kind of fight their evil counterparts. And it's it's not bad. Like, it's okay. It ends, and we're like, okay, they're going to fight them again. And they do, but it's this weird montage. And it's the strangest choice. I I just, I couldn't... I just couldn't, I couldn't understand it because it eliminates all sort of uh, drama or tension in the rivalry, rivalries that those characters share. Yeah. So I was think when I was watching this movie, I was thinking of uh, a similar, uh, a, a movie that does this kind of uh, filmic structure a lot better. And I'm not talking about the, the original uh, Mortal Kombat adaptation from the 90s. I think uh, Paul W.S. Anderson directed that movie. I haven't seen it. I don't really expect to ever see it. I'm not a huge fan of Anderson's. Um, but I was thinking of the 1988 film Bloodsport, you know, with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Bloodsport is not a good movie, but it's a very watchable movie. It's the sort of movie where if you kind of, if you're you have insomnia and you run across it on TBS at 1 a.m., you'll sit down and you'll watch a good chunk of it. You might even watch all of it. And, you know, it's not great cinema, but it, it's it's fine for what it is. And I think part of that is, uh, first of all, it knows what it's about. It's about the blood sport. Uh, and it also, in, in that film, it, it's basically just a sequence of one-on-one fights. You know, it's it's... Uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme kind of fighting his up his way up through the ranks to face his nemesis at the very end. His nemesis is doing the very same thing. Um, but the movie's not really in a particular hurry to sort of rush through all these fights to get us to that climactic confrontation. Um, it kind of just, there there are multiple fights where we just sort of watch Jean-Claude Van Damme fight some random guy. And we all know that Van Damme is going to win, but it's kind of just fun to watch how the fight plays out and see what sort of miniature narrative arc that the director gives it you know it's sort of you know the ebb and flow who's winning who's losing oh there's a big reversal and then it ends and it's not uh awesome it's not Hemingway but it's sort of like you know that's kind of what you want out of a movie about people beating each other to death in a in a fighting in 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 a fighting tournament like that's kind of that's the point and if you're going to watch Mortal Kombat where it, it makes these weird choices like the one you said where the climactic confrontations are kind of interwoven in a, kind of a, a montage and it's kind of done to give the whole thing the sort of trajectory like, oh, we're watching each one of these individuals kind of overcome their nemesis and win all at the same time. That's, I mean, they're... Like they're, that's not really how you build a movie like this, right? Like you, like you said, the characters aren't Shakespeare. We don't really care about their emotional journey. We want to watch them beat the beat the heck out of each other. And if we kind of don't get to do that because all the fights are cut into ribbons and interwoven with each other, it just it feels profoundly unsatisfying from both a dramatic standpoint and just a lizard brain beat 'em up standpoint. <laughs> no, that's true. I I. The, the scene that I liked the most was the opening introduction. 
uh, set in the uh, 17th century. Uh, I felt like it. I felt like it introduced some characters. It introduced mythology, some interesting topics. Obviously, I'm coming to this for the first time, uh, but it all kind of went down hill from there. And I don't know what to call it, Kevin, but there's this feeling that I get when I'm watching a movie and the end is just really bad, or maybe there are climactic scenes that are just really bad, like the one I talked to you about towards, I guess that's towards the end maybe of the second act, beginning of the third act, where they fight their rivals. It's a montage. So there's this feeling you get when a scene like that happens and you're like, wow, that was really anticlimactic. But then you're also kind of glad because you're like, okay, we're done with that. This movie's closer to being over and I can just get out of here. And it's it's just weird because you, you don't want to feel that way. And yet I did. Also, uh, just speaking of the visuals here, when you go to this uh, this outworld, it's it is not done well. And I, I don't understand why this crew could have just gone to the desert or gone, you know, gone, gone somewhere and just shot on like at a real location and, and maybe added some flourishes because it, it was as if the CGI was incomplete and maybe it was, maybe it was rushed out. I don't know. Um, but it, I'm all for this fantasy element, but when it feels like plastic, it just degrades. It degrades the uh, the feeling that you're supposed to feel, or uh, the the story and and like I mentioned before, the mythology. Yeah, I know exactly the scene you're talking about, and I wasn't sure when I was watching it. I wasn't sure. Okay, am I just really checked out of this scene because it's visually so dull, or is it maybe not a, a problem with the visual so much as a problem with the performances? And because we have, you know, uh, the the evil sorcerer Shang Tsung is there, and he's kind of just he's not being evil in a particularly compelling way he's just sort of standing there in his robes and he's like we're going to kill earth (laughs) or something ridiculous like that he's sort of he's giving the (laughs) villain monologue but he's not delivering it in any sort of compelling way he's not doing anything he's not been directed to do anything uh physical he's just standing there delivering his lines and the other character the other evil characters are standing there kind of respectfully listening to him until he's done talking so that they can also say that they want to kill earth and then uh some another character shows up and they say oh prince goro thanks for coming do you want to kill earth with us and it's just it's so it's just so perfunctory that it just it's a I don't want to be emotionally involved. I don't need to be emotionally involved necessarily in the struggle of these characters, but I at least want to be kind of involved in general. And this film doesn't really get us to that point. And even when we're not dealing with, with CGI or villain speeches, the, the action is often shot in a way that is just not very, uh, 
very absorbing to the eye. There, there's a lot of scenes where, where characters are sort of standing and they throw punches. Um, but the way it's shot, it doesn't look like they're they're moving particularly quickly. It kind of looks like it's been choreographed and the actors are deliberately trying not to hurt each other. Um, and then there's there's one brawl kind of set in a in a trailer home where the action is almost completely in the dark, so you can barely even see what's happening. Uh, where in that case, the choreography is at least it kind of reminds me of that uh, fight from Kill Bill 2 with uh, in the trailer home in that in that picture, but it's all in the dark, so I I don't know if it if it compares favorably or not because I can't see anything that's going on, and these are all like really basic decisions made on the part of the director and the cinematographer, and they just nothing is working here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know what else to to say about this film. I I always hate doing. That. I don't I don't find joy. Some people think, oh, you you, you know, you're just snooty critic. I don't find joy in ripping apart a film or saying, hey, I just really didn't like it. Um, but that's really where I'm at. I want to move on, Kevin, into our uh, recommendation segment. I'm doing it a little bit different because my recommendation is a video game adaptation. Before I get to that, though, uh, we were talking earlier about how there just really aren't very many good video game adaptations. They're just the, the movies are pretty poor. And I wanted to ask you, why, why do you think that is? Do you, do you think it's just a matter of, you know, they're, they're big studio pictures and a lot of them are, are pretty bad and it's just luck? Or is it something about the medium that's hard to translate to screen? I, I think uh, there's just there's a misunderstanding about what makes uh, video games interesting. Uh, I guess when, when the thing that games can do that films don't do is their participatory experiences. Like, um, when you're, when you're playing through, um, uh, I've, oh, I, I, I'm drawing a blank on, a an apt example, but when you're playing through a game, the, the thing that is compelling you isn't so much the, the story or the characters. Those things can be well done and compelling in their own right. But the thing that's most compelling is you are, kind of in the situation and you're the one controlling the character and there's a level of identification between you and the main character that is qualitatively different from just you know sitting and watching that on screen right like when when you're when you're mario jumping (laughs) jumping from block to block you're invested in it not because mario is such an interesting character or because his end goal is so dramatically uh, interesting. You're doing it because if you're the one who has to concentrate on making sure that he makes it to the next platform and doesn't fall into a pit, that's what is there. But it feels like a lot of video game movies kind of just want to they want to take the basic story of a game and put it up on screen and remain faithful to it without taking into account the fact that they without that participatory element what you're left with is kind of just a really generic cliche genre story. Not that there's anything wrong with genre stories, but there there have to be adaptational choices made, I guess, to kind of account for that. And I just don't think that most video game movies do that. Mm. Yeah, no, that's a really good answer. I don't think I have anything to add to it because I was trying to figure that out today. And I was like, well, I'm not, 
and I'm not really sure. I, I don't I don't know how to put my finger on it, but that's a that's a great answer. So uh, we'll just kind of move into our recommendation segment. Listeners, this is the part of the show where we recommend something from the world of television and or film to you, our listeners. And there are a number of video game adaptations that I like, a handful, I should say. Uh, two of the recent ones that I've enjoyed is uh, the 2018 Tomb Raider. Uh, I thought that one was 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 fine. Nothing great or fantastic, but a watchable blockbuster movie. And then maybe my favorite video game adaptation, I know that's not saying much, um, is probably the 2002 film Resident Evil. And of course, it was directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, a filmmaker you mentioned earlier you don't enjoy. He directed the, the 1995 Mortal Kombat film. I like this one because... It doesn't feel like a video game adaptation. It feels like a slow burn horror picture. And I think all of those elements could have worked together. I haven't cared much for the resulting movies because they have changed directions a bit. But for this one, uh, as these characters are kind of going through this this mansion of sorts, and they're they're fighting off these zombies. Uh, I, I think it's a pretty tense picture, and I seem to care for the characters more than I do in a lot of other video game adaptations. So that's my recommendation uh, this week. Kevin, I know you didn't bring a video game adaptation, but what is your recommendation to our listeners this week? Well, you know, I, I didn't bring a video game adaptation, but at least tried to... <laughs> On, on at least a, a very tenuous level, have some sort of connection to the movie we're reviewing. So my recommendation is a movie titled The Killers. Uh, this is uh, has nothing to do with you know saving uh, Earth from uh, an evil dimension that wants to conquer it or a bloody fighting tournament. It's a 1946 film directed by Robert Syad Mech. It's based on an Ernest Hemingway story, and it's a it's a film noir. It stars Burt Lancaster in his film debut and Ava Gardner. Uh, and, you know, it's uh, told in flashback. So we see in the opening scene, we see uh, two hitmen coming after uh, a former boxer to kill him. And uh, over the course of the film, we come to find out exactly why they're after him in the first place. And of course, this being a film noir, there's a femme fatale and uh, a, a plot that goes wrong. All the, the great standbys, I think it's just very, it's very well shot. And there's uh, some genuine pathos, I guess, in, in this film that uh, I, I'm not going to say is you don't often see in film noir. That's not true, but I think there there's the level of pathos in this particular one uh, makes it stand out uh, for just how how much it makes you feel. I guess like Burt Lancaster's uh, doomed relationship with Ava Gardner is just it's really compelling to see, and of course it's just got that wonderful. Uh, shadowy cinematography by Woody Bradell that's just it's a joy to look at so it's not a video game adaptation it's not entirely in theme but it is about some killers so that's going to be my recommendation for this week's episode <laughs> no no I've I have not had a chance to see the movie and it's it's on my list so I'm glad to hear you you talk about it and I like Burt Lancaster I haven't seen many of his films but the films I have seen are, are pretty good so definitely have to check that out listeners 
If you have seen Mortal Kombat and you would like to send us your thoughts, we'd love to hear them. Maybe you just really disagree with us. We'd love to get those thoughts. Email us, seeingandbelievingcapc at gmail.com. You can also tweet us at cbeliefpod on Twitter, at cbeliefpod. Mortal Kombat is currently playing in theaters. It's also available on demand via HBO Max. So I think it'll be on there for about 30 days exclusively. So check it out if you are interested in that sort of thing. Let us know what you think. For now, I want to thank you for listening to this week's episode. It's brought to you by ChristinPopCulture.com. Our producer is Jonathan Clausen, who every week helps us to search for the sacred on screen. I'm Wade Bearden. My co-host is Kevin McLenathan. And until next time, this is Seeing and Believing. We'll see you later. You have been listening to Seeing and Believing, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com slash network. Theme music by Alexander Osborne and Lindsay Miz, used under Creative Commons License 3.0.